Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. On September 12, 1964, President Lyndon Johnson signed legislation creating Canyonlands National Park. Here's some language from that enabling act. In order to preserve an area possessing superlative scenic, scientific, and archaeologic features for the inspiration, benefit, and use of the public. Well, there will be events of celebration and reflection next week in the Moab area as part of a year-long recognition of that 50th anniversary. A new film, Our Canyon Lands, looks at some issues going forward as well, including oil and gas development, uranium and potash mining, potentially tar sands development bordering Canyonlands National Park. We're going to ask you what you think about current threats or opportunities in southeastern Utah. Also, do you have a favorite Canyonlands memory to share on the occasion of this anniversary? The number is 1-800-826-1495. You can join us by email to upraxcess at gmail.com. And you can join us on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio. We're going to be talking with uh, filmmaker Justin Clifton, who's the director and producer of this film. Uh, Mr. Clifton, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Uh, Tim Peterson is Utah Forest Wildlands Manager with Grand Canyon Trust. Uh, he uh, helped out a lot with the film, understand, and I believe Grand Canyon Trust was is the producer of the film. So, uh, Tim Peterson, welcome to the program. Pleased to be here. Thanks, Tom. And we're pleased to welcome uh, former Canyonlands Superintendent Walt Dabney. Welcome to the program. Good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, so, we'd love to get uh, your perspective as we go along with conversation here uh, today. Um, and as I mentioned, the number is 1-800-826-1495. Email is upraxcess at gmail.com. And you can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Uh, so um, let me start with uh, Tim Peterson. Uh, Grand Canyon Trust, uh, I guess, uh, saw a need for uh, a film. Uh, commissioned uh, Justin Clifton. How did this uh, get off the ground? Well, we did. Um Going back a few years, working with our, our conservation partners, um, the Greater Canyonlands region really came to the fore as a uh, place that's both uh, unique and under threat. Um, as as a part of trying to think about the next 50 years for Greater Canyonlands, we thought these places are really little known, and it would be a great service to uh, get citizens more involved uh, citizens in Utah, citizens nationwide, and the medium of film is a really powerful way to tell a story, and we we hope that this piece will will have a really broad reach. Uh, and Justin Clifton, uh, how'd you how'd you go about this? You uh, you identified uh, some some key people. What was the purpose of the film? Um, really, the purpose of the film is is to I think more than anything, highlight the value of this landscape over and above any, any other possible uses. Uh, you know, there, there are places within our country that are, that are proper places to go after certain resources. This is just one of those places that is that, is that special, that, that um, has been left kind of incomplete. You know, when you stand out and you look over um, uh, Canyonlands National Park, uh, you know, you think you're looking at the entire park, but really you're looking at a lot of unprotected lands. And so the purpose of the film is really to highlight how special these landscapes are and how uh, important that legacy could be for our generation to leave that to all future generations. should mention, before we go along uh, too far, you can uh, find out a lot of the events that will be happening. The main events uh, in this celebration will be happening uh, next week in the Moab area. And uh, the website for that is canyonlands50.org. There will be historic Canyonlands Film Festival, Star Hall in Moab at 7 o'clock on Thursday, September 11th. The main event is a commemoration ceremony and dinner. That's on Friday, September 12th in the Needles District, featuring Douglas Brinkley, history professor at Rice University, a prominent historian. We've had him on this program talking about uh, Walter Cronkite. Um, then uh, some other events. And on Friday the uh, 12th, I believe this is uh, 8 or 8.30, uh, there'll be a screening of Our Canyon Lens. 8.30, I believe, in Star Hall. So those are some events to uh, if you're going to be in the uh, greater Moab area. Before we uh, turn to, to Walt Dabney, I want to hear a bit from the film here. This is a setting, uh, setting things up. This is the, the first uh, clip from the film. And it introduces us to uh, the beginnings of, uh, of the uh, park. 
This is a story which began when time began. A story of land born of primordial seas which rose and retreated time and again. This is the story of the canyonlands of Utah, a gigantic jewel in our scenic heritage, yours and mine, an area now in the public domain. Land wild and free, still awaiting discovery. Land important to us who live on a crowded planet. For here we and future generations can find beauty, solitude, and inspiration in the sculptured earth. A little over 50 years ago, Charles Eggert made this film to convince Congress to protect the canyonlands of southeastern Utah. It is possible that without his film, The Sculptured Earth, we may not have Canyonlands National Park at all, and the landscapes of southern Utah could look far different today. If you have been to Canyonlands, you know how the light plays magic tricks as it moves across the fractured earth. You know of the treasures hidden in the canyons sculpted by wind and water. And you know of the untold mysteries that remain in a landscape that provides a human connection to something larger than ourselves. Eggert's film successfully advocated for the protection of canyonlands, for the most part. Had it been completely successful, there wouldn't be a need to make this film 50 years later advocating for the same landscape. This is the story of the public lands left unprotected when the park was created in 1964. This is the story of our canyon lands. That's from a new film we're talking about today. Uh, it's uh, directed by uh, Justin Clifton. Tim Peterson with the Grand Canyon Trust had handed this uh, Walt Dabney, former Canyonland superintendent, appears in the film, and uh, all three of these gentlemen are with us today on Access Utah. Uh, Walt Dabney, uh, I wonder um, what the what this land means to you. Maybe you could articulate that uh, on behalf of uh, many people in in the area. There are a lot of competing uh, potential uses for this this land. What what does this mean to you? Well, good morning again. Uh, this is an exciting time. The 50th anniversary of Canyonlands is, is just special. I rolled in here in 1991 as the new superintendent and was here through 1999. And uh, didn't know all the history of Canyonlands at the time, but uh, as I was getting oriented to the place, I can remember being up on Grandview Point with someone that was showing me around, and and they pointed out Canyonlands, and I said, so... So it's all this big bowl here. And they said, no, it's not all this big bowl here. Uh, it should have been. And I didn't realize at the time that uh, historically in the 60s when they were trying to figure out what Canyonland should be, they talked about the park being the erosion basin. All you got to do is look at a topographic map. You see where the boundary is now. And you see very clearly this this topographic erosion basin or bowl that Canyonlands is in, and what happened is the senator, the two senators from from Utah, Senator Moss and Senator Bennett, had very different views of what this park should be, and uh, Senator Moss wanted the erosion basin, about a million acre park. Senator Bennett wanted uh, three little parts of about 10 or 12,000 acres total, and so what you have now on the ground in Canyonlands is a is very much a political compromise that makes absolutely no sense on the ground. Hmm. And so as I looked at that, and if you go to Dead Horse Point and look down, for example, and you see things like the potash works, and as Justin said very clearly, we need potash and we need oil and gas, but to think of having them have more of that in the basin that should be the national park is absolutely the wrong place. So the opportunity to discuss the future of Canyonlands and to make it right now, to get it completed so that you can have other uses outside of the park area uh, that are 
that would be non-compatible, that would not be appropriate within the park, is is something that's really important to finish up right now. So, t- Tim Peterson, you um, in the film states that um, a lot of people, some people in that area, regard this as unfinished business. Uh, that this film wouldn't have been needed uh, if uh, if Congress, the President, had authorized a, a much larger park at at the time. So, I guess specifically, do you does Grand Canyon Trust do you advocate for this idea of the Greater Canyonlands National Monument that's being floated? Well, we advocate for protection of the region, as you as you and your listeners probably know. Canyonlands is the only national park in Utah that was designated by congressional action. All of the rest of them did begin as Antiquities Act national monuments declared by former presidents. And since it went through the congressional process, it ended up being constrained by politics, by the potential of future development, uh, development that is happening along the northern fringes of the park today, but has really not happened on the other boundaries of the park. So at this point in time, we're looking to really complete the vision, complete Stuart Udall's vision, if you go to the Needles Overlook on Hatch Point and look over at the amazing landscape, uh, very little of what you see is actually the national park. So we're working through a number of avenues to try to protect this area. Uh, the first is with Representative Rob Bishop on the Eastern Utah Public Lands Initiative, and um, a, declaring a national monument would really be a fail-safe for this area should that should that process not bear fruit. But we are interested in protection for the region one way or the other. What, what are you, uh, maybe you could expand on that, what, what are you working on with uh, Representative Bishop? Well, for the last couple of years, um, we've been working in um, about seven eastern Utah counties trying to resolve land tenure issues, and that means we're looking at areas to try to set aside for wilderness protection, for national conservation area protection, and also for energy development and for state land exchange to consolidate uh, the state lands department where they can better maximize revenue. But in any political process, there are always uncertainties. Timing is always in question. And, of course, uh, things are things are kind of stopped up in the National Congress right now. Yeah, it's always, you know, it's... It's always uh, tenuous, I guess, on either side if you're if you're dealing with um, with the politics of this. One example, um, this was interesting to me, uh, Justin Clifton. Maybe we'll go to you for this question. Um, the original purpose for which Stuart Udall was flown across this this land was, I think, somebody wanted to show him a dam, but he looked down, as you say in the film, and 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 envisioned a, a national park. Yeah, and and. Um... You know, it's kind of third-hand telling of, of that aspect of the story, certainly, um, from watching old interviews with uh, Stuart Udall and, and others. But, yeah, he was flying with Floyd Dominey, who was the head of, of the Bureau of Reclamation at the time. And, and Floyd, is a, he's a famous dam builder in, in America, and, and uh, he wanted to kind of continue his vision of controlling the Colorado River, and, and he saw... Um, an area just below the confluence of the Green and Colorado Rivers um, as the the best spot for his next big dam project. So, you know, you could stand up on that point today, and rather than looking down at this incredible basin full of just an amazing array of of cultural sites and, and, um, uh, you know, archaeological sites, uh, you could be looking at another big dying reservoir just like Lake Powell. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, Dabney, before we go to break, I wonder what you'd like to see happen. Would you like to see that entire erosion basin protected? And if so, how would that take place? Uh, National Monument? What uh, what other means? Well, as was already pointed out, uh, Canyonlands is the only park in Utah that was not established as a national monument. Grand Canyon was established as a national monument. Many of them were because of just the politics, the the local fighting and that kind of thing. And, and subsequently, all those places are now very important national parks for the country and for the local area. The vision of the erosion basin was absolutely right on. It makes a, a wonderful and complete national park. 
And when I say complete, uh, we have never done it right from the beginning, starting with Yellowstone. If you look at the conflicts around Yellowstone related to migratory animals like bears and bison and grizzlies, uh, or the, the park was too little to accommodate those kind of things. So now you have this built-in conflict. In the case of Canyonlands, you've got primarily the minerals development happening absolutely right on the boundary in places, uh, nothing protecting it from happening inside what is that erosion basin. So the outcome that needs to happen, and needs to happen soon, is that the erosion basin become the park, and then you would have a complete, probably the only one in the system, a complete national park that when it's surrounded as an island by other uses or other developments can still stand on its own in great shape and be the wonderful place and destination and economic generator that it should be for the future. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll hear a couple more clips from the uh, film. The film is Our Canyon Lands, and you can uh, see more uh, about that at their website, ourcanyonlands.org. Much more on the 50th anniversary celebration events for Canyonlands National Park at uh, canyonlands50.org. There will be a historic Canyonlands Film Festival, uh, and I believe uh, Charles Eggert's film will be shown, at least to some of that. Uh, that's uh, happening on Thursday, September 11th in Star Hall. Friday, September 12th, back at Star Hall, 8.30 in the evening. You can see this film we're talking about, Our Canyonlands. There will be an event uh, on that day, September 12th, uh, at Needles District in Canyonlands National Park. Featured speaker there is Douglas Brinkley, a uh, prominent historian. There are other events and uh, we're talking about uh, the celebration, Canyonlands, the 50th anniversary. Do you have a favorite Canyonlands memory? Do you have a favorite Canyonlands place? What's your feeling about this national park? What's your feeling about uh, potential expansion of uh, protection of these lands? Or uh, are you on the side of extraction? Do you, uh, do you, uh, are you concerned about jobs, the economy? We'll get into talking about some of uh, these topics. And it can get pretty heated. There's a very interesting scene in the uh, film, a uh, citizens meeting in Moab that uh, outlines uh, that we'll get into, we'll play that clip. Much more with uh, Tim Peterson with the Grand Canyon Trust, uh, Justin Clifton, who's a filmmaker, producer and uh, director of this film, and uh, Walt Dabney, former Canyonlands superintendent. Hopefully you as well at 1-800-826-1495, upraxis at gmail.com, or on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. More following break. This Thursday on the Zesty Garden, USU Extension Vegetable Specialist Dan Drost is in studio. Among other topics, we'll look at how the cooler evenings may increase the flavor of your vegetables. And now is a great time to plant a crop of greens for fall eating. Also, if you want the best garlic next summer, now is the time to plant. Then we'll finish with Helen Cannon on Petals and Pros. That's this Thursday morning at 10 o'clock on the Zesty Garden from Utah Public Radio. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Lenone Italian Restaurant on 100 East in Logan. Open evenings 5.30 to 9.30, featuring garden seating with live music Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday nights. Reservation information at 435-752-9577. And the Utah Shakespeare Festival, presenting Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, the story of a damsel in disguise finding love when she least expects it. Information at bard.org. You're listening to Access Utah on Utah Public Radio. I'm Tom Williams. On September 12, 1964, President Lyndon Johnson signed legislation creating Canyonlands National Park. And uh, this is an iconic park, of course, one of the big five in Utah. We're very blessed in Utah. Uh, some say it uh, wasn't protected enough, that the entire erosion basin should have been protected back then. Of course, it's 50 years later, and uh, the debate still goes on uh, whether the economy should be based on recreation and the beauty of the land or uh, whether extractive uh, industry should uh, come in. Uh, some see it as a threat. 
We're talking with uh, filmmaker Justin Clifton, who's made a new film, Our Canyon Lands. That'll be getting a screening in Moab at Star Hall, 8.30 in the evening, uh, Friday, September 12th, about a week away. There are other events happening, of course, uh, commemorating 50th anniversary of Canyon Lands in the Moab area, and uh, you can find out more about those uh, Go by going to canyonlands50.org. Uh, let's uh, hear the second clip from the film. This will uh, set up the, the debate, which has, I think, always been going on and, and continues today. What we've seen on the Colorado Plateau throughout recent history, say, let's say the past century, is a continuing effort to make the Colorado Plateau a energy colony and a natural resource colony, uh, which provides all kinds of essential uh, natural resources for the large cities, the large urban areas surrounding it, and for the entire West and the, and the entire country. Approximately in the 1950s, some of the largest companies in America were working together, as they always have, to use their combined political power to enable a strategic master plan for utilizing the resources of the Colorado Plateau, in particular tar sands, oil shale, basically fossil fuel resources, strippable coal, oil and gas, and uranium. That push to utilize the Colorado Plateau as a resource colony continues today. And uh, let's go directly into the, uh, the, the third uh, clip that we have. This is a um, pretty tense citizens meeting, uh, which took place in, uh, in Moab where we had some citizens debating some of these issues. Since the 1990s, recreation and tourism have become the economic heart of Southern Utah. But state and local governments still favor extractive industries. Black Diamond CEO Peter Metcalf believes this undermines the outdoor economy and has openly questioned the governor's preference for industrialization of our wildlands. Our politicians really didn't recognize that these iconic wildlands were not just about biodiversity or watershed, as if those issues aren't important enough, but they were the backbone to one of the fastest growing economic sectors in the state. In 2012, these iconic wildlands of Utah helped drive the outdoor industry to record numbers, eclipsing the oil and gas economy in the state, which begged the question. Did you want it to be a sustainable economy or crash and burn economy? Did you want to have it to be an economy like the outdoor industry economy that is characterized by a myriad of small and medium-sized businesses? Or did you want one big oil company, one big gas company, one big timber company coming in in a boom and bust cycle? Known as the Beehive State, Utah's motto is industry. Unfortunately, many politicians value extractive industries over the sustainability and local control of the recreation industry and cite the fear that the thriving recreation economy could bust to justify their call for increased extraction. We've been from a one industry economy to a bust, and now we're building back into a one industry economy. And for those who have been there, done that, that's a concern. We think that with some thoughtful processes and thinking, that there's a way we can enjoy some additional diversity into our economy some locals believe this new energy boom will lead to jobs and economic security, while others fear it could decimate the region's thriving recreation economy. Hello, my name's Ray Tibbetts. I've uh, been here uh, now on about 82 years as of yesterday. I'm in favor of development. I believe in drilling for oil. That's a treasure chest for Grand County, but let's use it. It's time that we uh, enjoy our resources that we have here. Now getting on to the wilderness deal, I've been fighting that now for about 30 years. I'm not in favor of one wilderness up here, none. It's time that we start developing this area. I see these oil rigs all over out here and I'm just tickled to death to see them. It's about time. I'm Mike Coronella. I live in Moab. I own a business here. It was very telling to me a couple of years ago running into a couple of young men from Oklahoma who are working on the rigs up on Big Flat, wondering why anyone would let them drill in such a spectacular place. Our economy is run by the tourism industry now. Like it or not, 
We need to protect that. My business does rely 100% on the beauty of our area. It's clean air and water. And if we go down this road, it could send us in a direction that can harm our way of life and put my business in jeopardy, put me out of a job, and put all the people that work for me out of a job. So that's uh, a bit uh, from the film, and uh, the end there you heard some citizens who were uh, debating these these questions. I want to start with Walt Dabney on this, a former Canyonlands uh, superintendent. Um, and uh, most of the talking heads in the film are, are in favor of uh, protecting the lands. You he- heard there, though, from one gentleman uh, who, who said he's, he's opposed to any attempts to, to stop energy development. This is our economy. We should develop it. Dude, you know, even and I think you could extrapolate from what he said, even if it's all over in 30 or 40 years. Uh, what do you see as the biggest threats? Well, Ray Tibbetts is a friend, and we've had some great discussions. And uh, I think Justin mentioned early on in this thing, this isn't about whether we need oil and gas or other mineral development. It's where you do that and where it's appropriate. I mean, we need inter- we need electricity, but you wouldn't build a, high, a electric generating plant with thermal power in Yellowstone, or you wouldn't dam the Grand Canyon. Uh, so you need to find those places, and you need to find those resources and, and utilize them in places that make sense. You don't take a place like arches and canyonlands down here that are absolute money generators. If you don't like them philosophically, aesthetically, whatever, they are true, huge generators in the economy. Come in the city market down here and listen to how many people from all over the world are coming here because of these national parks. You would do nothing, I would hope, that would despoil that commodity that you can sell forever if you don't screw it up. So go do the oil and gas somewhere else in the area where it makes sense, but do not compromise something that you know long-term is not going to be a boom-bust kind of a thing. It's going to be a steady income uh, generator. And and when I got here in 91, and now the the visitation numbers are absolutely, hugely different. So uh, I think it's about the most important use of a given piece of land. And in the case of Canyonlands, they determined that this erosion basin was it, and then the political compromise made it something less than it should have been. Let's fix it and make it good and whole and an island that can stand on its own and then do these other things as they make sense, uh, where they make sense. And I think that's the issue. I think it is a disservice to... to uh, and it, it confuses the issue to say this is about energy or no energy. It's about where you do it, not if you do it. I want to follow up with uh, Justin Clifton next, uh, the filmmaker, Our Canyon Lands. Um, so at this meeting in uh, Moab, I believe it was, this is public uh, citizen input, um, and Walt Dabney has just said it's a disservice to, to see it as either, you know, either or, either no development or or all development on these on these lands. Uh, one of the gentlemen, and this is where it sort of almost descended into chaos, one of the gentlemen says, this is our public lands. And he was in favor of uh, more development. Uh, and we need to all use it together. I wonder what your sense is, having talked to a bunch of people, Justin uh, Clifton, uh, uh, th- that there can be a consensus reached. Because these things get do get pretty heated. And yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. I think Walt makes a, a good point. You know, Ray Tibbetts is, is a friend of Walt's. Um, I've personally never met Ray, but this isn't this the story really isn't about you know good versus evil. This is really about what our legacy will ultimately be in the in in our public lands. And I think what the gentleman was saying is these are all of our public lands, and and we're in the West. We are. Um, as Walt would say, we're blessed with, with these landscapes to where you can leave your front door and go walk for miles, and and you have the freedom to do that. And there are different agencies that are tasked with managing those public lands for multiple use, and that multiple use includes things like extractive industries. 
And so, so a lot of folks um, have gotten used to these public lands being um, uh, economic generators. You know, they create uh, jobs and extractive industries that generally pay fairly well for, um, uh, um, you know, a, a small number of jobs that they that they create. And I think that's what he's speaking to more than anything is is to say. Hey, if you go in and, and you shut this down, then that means that um, you know I can't get a job working on an oil rig uh, in this section of public land, which means I'm going to have to travel farther for a job, or I'm going to have to you know move completely somewhere else where they are uh, you know working the public lands in an industry that 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 um, that I'm qualified for. And, you know, I think that's that's kind of what he was saying. I I do um, I do think that that he was. Um, uh, certainly kind of purposefully inciting the, the, um, the audience at that particular moment in the meeting, um, which was the very end. Up to that point, the meeting had been very respectful, um, you know, with people kind of going back and forth, making their case for, for what they wanted for their public lands around, around the, uh, Moab and Grand County. But, um, I don't know. I think, I think that, that, he was making the argument that we all have to get along on the same piece of public land. My feeling as the filmmaker and, and somebody who, who loves these, these wild spaces, and, and I like to go into spaces to where you know I can choose to go somewhere where I'm not going to be assaulted by um, an off-road vehicle. Um, but at the same time, I also like to go into places where, you know, people can ride their off-road vehicles. You know, I think there are places for different things. We're making the argument that this is a landscape where you shouldn't industrialize this place. This is a gift. This is something that, that goes off into the future um, beyond that. And I hope we get into this later, and Tim can speak to this very clearly, but this is also an environmental issue. I mean, we're talking about um, some of the worst oil in the world kind of existing in this landscape, oil that shouldn't be uh, burned. You know, no matter how much we need oil, we don't need the kind of oil that is down there. But beyond that, it's the Colorado River watershed. It's, it really is the heart of, um, of a river that provides economic and, and just personal human security for 36-plus million people um, in the western U.S. And we're talking about some much bigger issues here that we have the opportunity to um, to really leave a, a lasting and strong legacy for, for multiple generations uh, well beyond us. We shouldn't be so selfish with this. We're talking, if you just joined us, about uh, Canyonlands National Park. It's uh, celebrating its 50th the birthday. It was September 12th, 1964, that President Johnson signed the legislation creating Canyonlands National Park. And uh, so there's a lot of reflection and celebration going on, uh, especially in the Moab area, of course. There will be specific events that will be happening next week. You can find out about those by going to canyonlands50.org. And there's a new film which uh, takes a look at some of the issues that Justin Clifton just outlined going forward. Uh, and we've been hearing some clips from that film. It's called Our Canyon Lands. You can find out more about the film at ourcanyonlands.org. And we're talking with uh, the filmmaker Justin Clifton, Tim Peterson, who is Utah Forest Wildlands Manager with Grand Canyon Trust and former Canyonland Superintendent Walt Dabney. We're going to take another break uh, brief, uh, shortly, but before we do, I want to uh, pose this question to Tim Peterson. Uh, I noticed in the film... Uh, and this, I think, often happens, and I'm especially interested whenever you bring up the Uinta Basin because that's uh, Vernal's my hometown. But uh, you talked to the filmmaker, talked to Tom Elder, who's a, I think a high school teacher out there, and very interested in environmental issues. And so he he uh, brings up Google Earth. He says this will be very instructive. Uh, let's go to Bonanza, which is outside of Vernal, and you see many many wells, many roads. Um, and he, he wants to demonstrate that, that it's just, uh, as we all know, there's a huge boom, oil boom, uh, out in the Yona Basin. And then he says something very interesting. He says, it feels like there's no compromising with that, meaning people who, you know, want to uh, go full scale with development. Of course, on the other side, they, they could say, you know, and I've heard them say the same with uh, environmentalists. Uh, so I wonder, first of all, uh, Tim Peterson, t talk to me a little bit about... Uh, the development in the Uinta Basin, and I think that is seen by some as sort of a bad example where it could go in the Moab area if you're not careful. Well, thanks. There, 
there are about 11,000 wells in the Uinta Basin right now with 20,000 more on the books over the next few years. And that's, an, that's, a, that's a landscape that really has been fully committed to, to fossil fuel development through natural gas, through oil. Uh, the, the area south of Vernal is, is really a landscape that is, that is dedicated to production of that resource. So, well, some people call that multiple use. What it really becomes is a single use landscape. There's not much room for wildlife. There's not much room for recreation. You're, you're really just left with, with a landscape that is committed to the production of fossil fuels. The resources there are resources that the industry has clearly seen it worthwhile to go after. And where the resources are valuable, those companies are, are certainly less interested in compromise. Um, some of the resources in the Greater Canyonlands region, I think Justin alluded to the tar sands and the tar sands triangle, those resources are much lower quality and they haven't been developed yet. Uh, it's really our, our mission and our goal to, to keep some of those resources in the ground and have industry target the, the higher quality fossil fuels where they exist, where they're easier to get to in places like the UN Basin, and really to leave special landscapes like the Dirty Devil River, um, the, the, the area around Canyonlands, sort of as they are. But coming back to the economic numbers, um, Utah really relies on its, on its scenery. We had about 6.5 million visitors to Utah's national parks in 2012, leading to about $3.6 billion in wages and salaries generated by outdoor recreation in Utah. So Utah is really in a unique position where we have both. We're not the Bakken oil field in North Dakota where not many people are, are visiting for the scenery except for Theodore Roosevelt National Park out there. But in Utah, we really have both. We have an energy economy in the Uinta Basin, and we have a tourism and recreation economy in the southern part of the state and along the Wasatch. So I think as we move forward, it's important to look at what can we really count on as a sustainable economic future for Utah? Uh, tourism and recreation, as Walt said, can last forever, whereas oil, oil and gas will always be subject to those boom and bust cycles. So I think it's about siting development where it's appropriate. And places like the Uinta Basin, although they're starting to bump up against air quality problems and other, other, other issues there, we're most concerned with this, this region around Greater Canyonlands, making sure that it's a resource, a scenic resource, and a, uh, a tourism resource that we can continue to bank upon for many generations to come. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll uh, talk uh, more about these uh, issues, environmental issues. I also want to talk about the spiritual aspects of the land. Uh, you have several people, um, including uh, resident there, uh, Kylie Miller, Terry Tempest-Williams, talk about, and, and Walt Dabney is eloquent on this as well, uh, talking about uh, what the land means uh, to, to people, especially when we, uh, we talk about spiritual aspects. And we're looking for your uh, favorite Canyonlands memories, your views on these issues we've been talking about, and the occasion is the 50th anniversary, which is coming up, of Canyonlands National Park. More following the break. This is Steve Tracy bringing more to life. Parents forget high blood pressure, poor sleep, excess alcohol, and medicine can slow a brain down. Purpose in life, social networks, stimulating activities, these help protect aging brains. Rather than worrying about memory lapse, direct energy towards mental exercise, physical activity, and maintaining a social life. Ask your parents how they spend their time and encourage change. Start the conversation now to bring more to their lives. Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation in Logan. Advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crumb Brothers Artisan Bread located at 300 South and 300 West in Logan. 
featuring savory European-style breakfast treats, such as quiches and a revolving menu of lunch sandwiches, such as artichoke basil and fresh mozzarella. Information at crumbbrothers.com. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. You're listening to Utah Public Radio. And we're talking about Candylands National Park. Um, perhaps it's one of your favorite places. Maybe you've never been. Uh, now would be a good time to go, of course. 50th uh, anniversary, 50 years ago, September 12, 1964, President Johnson signed legislation creating Canyonlands National Park. There's celebration and reflection going on, uh, and especially it'll uh, heat up uh, around the actual anniversary in the Moab area next week. You can find out the activities going on at uh, canyonlands50.org. And there's a new film which uh, takes a look at environmental issues uh, going forward. It's called Our Canyon Lands. More information on that can be found at ourcanyonlands.org. And we're talking with the filmmaker Justin Clifton, Tim Peterson, who is with uh, Grand Canyon Trust, and Walt Dabney, who's a former Canyonlands uh, superintendent. Let me start in this segment with Justin Clifton. You, uh, near the end of the film, you interview uh, Terry Tempest Williams, of course, a prominent writer um, and uh, lover of the land. Um, And she says we should not... Uh, underestimate, along with the you know the, the the value of the land, the vastness of the land, we should not underestimate the vastness or the seriousness of the threat. And uh, you chose to put that quote in, in the film. I wonder uh, if you agree with that and uh, what you see as the most proximate threat. Yeah, I think in terms of this landscape, I I do agree with that. Um, we. Uh, we are seeing now, we're seeing um, development on an area north of, of Canyonlands National Park called Big Flat, um, uh, oil and gas development there, um, really primarily oil development. Uh, the gas is generally burned off at the wellheads because the, the, um, uh, there is no value to it on the, on the market. But, um, but oil is a valuable commodity, and, and companies seeking profits to provide us with something that we use every day. You know, we're all consumers of this product. Um, and companies are, are going after it. Uh, they have stockholders to, you know, make happy and, and, and bottom lines to, to, um, um, to keep in the, in the black. And, and so they're going after it um, in more and more remote places. Um, so the threat, I think, is, is very real to this, to this landscape. Um, and, and it's not a... a you know, I think that most of these these companies probably operate in a fairly responsible way as far as their drilling and and building of the pads and things like that. They're not, you know, just destroying um, the earth in that sense. But what they are doing is they're creating miles and miles of roads uh, to go out to these well pads. They're using millions of gallons of of drinking water uh, in a desert landscape in order to drill these wells. They're, you know, it's it's yeah, the the threat is very real to this to this area, and and as Tim pointed out, we do have these other aspects of of our of our lives, these places like the Uinta or, or um, um, uh, other parts throughout the country that make more sense from a resource extraction standpoint. Um, but if they can get the oil out and we allow them to do it, they'll they'll go and get that oil wherever they wherever they can. And right now, we're seeing that happen near near Canyonlands. You interview, uh, you have uh, several quotes from Kylie Miller, who lives there in, uh, in Moab. Um, and she's probably a representative of a lot of people who come in, discover this land, and, uh, and, and stay. And she says, to me, it's the closest thing to God that I could imagine, talking about this, this land. I wonder if you could uh, expand on that. There, there are quite a few people for whom that, uh, I think, is a, is a sentiment, the feeling they have about this land. Yeah, I, there's something something magical about the desert. I mean, it is it is a um, the scale of of the desert and the. I think that when you go out into a landscape like Canyonlands and and you can see the stars in the dark night skies and you can um, uh, feel the scale of the landscape and you can feel the magnitude of the silence. I think that that has a, a spiritual effect on on many people, and I don't think Kylie's you know 
uh, unique in that I've I've talked to numerous people that 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 have that that sense. People that their spirituality is is rooted in 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 church will still have that same experience when they're out in, in wilderness, and that's really I think the the root of of um, the root of why we protect these places. You know, to, to you know, I think President Johnson said it best when he actually signed the the um, uh, the Wilderness Act in, in 1964, he said that future generations are to remember us with gratitude rather than contempt. We must leave them a glimpse of the world as it was in the beginning, not just after we got through with it. And I think that's what people get from those landscapes, is that they are in something that is much bigger than themselves, something that, that is sculpted over time, not something that was envisioned by um, by humans, you know? Uh, so I, th- I think that's kind of what she's saying there. It's just that's when she feels closest to God is when she can actually see his creation completely unaffected by, by the hand of man. We just have about three minutes left in the program. I want to get a couple of quick final thoughts uh, from our two other guests. Uh, maybe starting with uh, Tim Peterson. Uh, let me ask you this question. Uh, we 50th anniversary celebrations, commemorations, celebrations, uh, our canyon lands is, is viewed. Uh, these issues are, are talked about. What would you most like to see come out of this in terms of uh, protecting these lands? Well, I would, uh, with the anniversary of the, of the Wilderness Act yesterday and canyon lands on September 12th, I really hope that people pause uh, for a moment from their busy lives full of full of technology and work and constant back and forth and take a moment and slow down and think about your own experience with these with these wildlands with canyonlands with with arches um, the feeling you get when you have the absolute blessing of living in Utah, being able to disconnect from these things for a while and just get away from it all and sort of refresh and renew your spirit. And I'm certainly hopeful that from that renewal will come a desire from folks to help protect these areas, to set them aside, and so their children and their children's children can experience them in the same way. And uh, so we just had three minutes left, but uh, we'll, we'll drop the feature we're going to put at the end of the hour. I want to get a uh, word from uh, Walt Dabney at the end here. Uh, plus, we have uh, Margaret from Vernal, who's uh, called in. Margaret, glad you called. Uh, go ahead with your question or comment. Oh, thank you. Um, I wanted to say that um, I, I, I really don't think that there should be any oil drilling, uh, drilling on any of the public lands because, um, they, as uh, somebody mentioned earlier on, they, they are there, and once we make a mess of them, they won't recover in the same sense, that, and um, the landscape will be changed. And I think this applies to all of our national parks. And if you look more at Europe that has done, uh, hasn't those luxuries, shall we say, or very few of them, that um, we, we ought to look after these uh, with great pride and, and also um, uh, very carefully. Thank you. Thank you, Margaret. Appreciate that. Margaret called 1-800-826-1495. You can as well. We have uh, uh, just a few minutes here at the end of the program. Um, and you can email us at upraxis at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Uh, Walt Dabney, a former uh, Canyonlands uh, superintendent, uh, I guess your response, first of all, to, to Margaret, and then uh, I'll pose you the same question I posed uh, to Tim Peterson. What in a perfect world, what would you like to see to see happen come out of these celebrations on the 50th anniversary of Canyonlands? Yeah, Tom, uh, I appreciate Margaret's comment. The reality is about a third of the United States is public land. There are places in the whole multiple-use concept where it would it's perfectly appropriate, done right, to do energy development. All of the national park areas and the national forest areas were carved out of this federal estate because Congress or the President determined that there, that in the scheme of multiple use in the case of the national monuments and parks, the highest use is to preserve them and, and not change them for the future. Correspondingly, in other places, it might be that timber or grazing or whatever is the paramount use, and that's, that's okay as long as we deliberately 
make the decision and then do it right. Uh, I just, uh, the rest of your question was what, Tom? Um, well, just uh, just wonder what, you know, in the in the perfect world, what would you like to see come out of the this, this, this celebration? I would, I would like to see Canyonlands completed and something that we're all proud of. Um, a lot of the people locally in Monticello and Moab originally supported the idea of Canyonlands. They still do. And, and we ought to get it right. And then I really do think that'll lessen the controversies. If the park is not threatened, you can then methodically go about deciding how you're going to use other parts of the lands around these jewels that are the national parks because we will have made the decision that the highest and best use of that in perpetuity is as a national park for the world to come see. The last thing I'll just tell you is I've, I've talked to lots of European tourists, Grand Canyon, Canyonlands, Arches, Yellowstone, the Redwoods. We were lucky enough to get them, <laughs> but I think we hold them in trust for the people of the world. And, and that's economically beneficial to us, but it's also philosophically and spiritually something that we ought to take very serious because uh, however it happened, we're entrusted with some of the jewels of the entire world right here in the United States. That's a good place to end our discussion. That was Walt Dabney, former Canyonland superintendent. Thank you so much for being with us. Um, filmmaker Justin Clifton has been with us. His film is uh, going to be shown... Uh, in Moab on September 12th. That's the anniversary of uh, the signing of uh, Canyonlands National Park, uh, creating the, the park 50 years later. And that'll be in Star Hall, 8.30 in the evening, and you can check out more about the film at ourcanyonlands.org. Justin Clifton, thank you so much. Thank you. And Tim Peterson is uh, Wildlands uh, Public uh, Wildlands Program Director with the Grand Canyon Trust, uh, and uh, he's been involved in making this film. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. Long time fan of your program. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, Join Sherry Quinn, of course, tomorrow for uh, Science Questions and Access Utah. Thanks for listening today.